Welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. Today's episode is all about Google, the experience Google wants to offer its users, and therefore the experience it demands from websites in order for them to rank. I'm joined by Brett Lane, an SEO consultant, and today we'll be talking about the Google algorithms, how they've changed over the years and the direction they're heading in, and how if you really understand these, you can better optimize your website for search engines. We'll also be dipping into how you can use SEO to ensure diversification of traffic. Let's get Brett on now. Hi, Brett. Thanks for joining me today. Um, do, you want to, do you mind quickly introducing yourself? Um, but tell us about your background and how you got to where you are now. Absolutely. So I'm Brett Lane. I'm from SEO Outsourcing. Uh, I've been in this industry for about almost 19 years now. Um, many years ago, I started looking at uh, Google, things of that nature. And I got very interested in, in figuring out how their, their engines work. So for years, I've, I've spent time studying how Google does, you know, what it, why do they do what they do? How do they do it? Um, I love looking at the re-engineering aspect of Google. So um, I look at that form of marketing as, as putting a, a puzzle together. So I've been doing it, as I said, almost 20 years now. Um, I started consulting many years ago. And then like a lot of the consultants, I started looking for agency jobs. And in that course of eight years, I was able to work for three different agencies in the Midwest. I had the opportunity to work with small campaigns, medium-sized campaigns. And then I, I also got to spearhead some of the um, marketing endeavors for Four Seasons Hotels, did some work with Progressive Insurance, um, worked with some really big brands. And I was able to chew on a lot of different strategies. But I, I think that the biggest thing that I took away from working with bigger brands is what could we do with, uh, from a strategy standpoint with those massive budgets? How do you take all the, the positives and apply those to companies who don't have as much money to spend? So you, you get some hard-hitting strategies, um, and then you, you apply the, the right types of techniques to small and medium-sized businesses. So I, I figured I wanted to do my best to give every, every business that we work with the chance of ranking just as good as the big dogs. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I suppose that's uh, it's kind of fair, but just for, for some of them, it's going to be tough, right? Yeah, if you've not not got the the money or the resource to put into it, you're going to struggle against someone who's got uh, you know quite a significant SEO budget and probably teams and teams of people mm-hmm. absolutely running it. But um, to get back on to the to the kind of the, the actual Google side of things, what's um what are some of the biggest changes you're seeing in the algorithm? And I suppose there's kind of two parts to that. The first part is just I suppose those little tweaks and changes they're making. Um, just along the way in those regular updates, but also just generally the direction that they're trying to to take SEO um, with the algorithm. Huge piece has been on user experience. Um, and you can break user experience down to a lot of different components. So Google is wanting to provide people with search results in the quickest time fashion um, and have the, the results be as clear and effective as possible for the user's intent. So if you're looking for information, or you're doing research, they want to provide you with data that represents that research, or if you're looking for a particular product, they want you to be able to find it as quick as possible. When you start looking at things like page, page speed, um, how quickly they load, whether something is, is responsive to mobile devices. You know, about 80% of people who search are looking on their phones. So Google wants to be able to ensure that when a person hits that your website, it's not going to take a long time to download the content. And the funny thing is, when they say a long time, a long time could be three seconds or four seconds. Um, simply because they're processing a lot of data. So we're seeing a lot of more movement now towards you know, being able to have a really good website that can be downloaded very quickly, that can be accessed easily, where people can find good information. 
Um, so you're, you're wanting to in, in decrease your, those element, elements. Um, you want to make sure that like, if you have a ton of images and things of that nature, they're not super heavy and they don't load very, very, you know, take a very long time to load. So if you think of, you know, the mindset of a person going to a website and, and how quickly consumers get frustrated, as long as you take away those barriers to entry for consumers, you're going to be doing yourself and your website a service because Google is going to reward websites where people can go in and see that information super quick. Um, and it's not, there's, there's, there's a ton of components built behind it. And I'll give you um, a, a quick solution here in a few minutes to some things that you can use if you want to overcome that. Cause a lot of times when people look at, you know, the, the, what they're, what they're calling core vitals, um, that's, that's what that represents. Google's metric for um, looking at your, your user experience, um, looking at those elements related to page speed and so forth. So there's some, some tweaks that you can do to make that. That's one key component. Um, another major component is looking at content and, you know, sites that have content that's very thin, that's going to decrease your chances of ranking because when you increase the amount of content that's engaging on your site, what you're doing is you're, you're giving your customers the ability to better engage with your site and they stay there longer. So your user engagement is naturally going to be increased because now you have a lot more content and people are reading it. They're staying on the site longer. They're visiting one page to the next. Um, and then the last piece is who is linking to you, you know, from the internet, you have all these different places who can link to your site. How are they doing it? Are they doing it from utilizing specific keyword phrases? Does it look very natural? Does it look like you're trying to be spammy and manipulate their algorithm? Because Google is always on the lookout for people who are manipulating. And, and when you look at SEO at the end of the day, really, we're all trying to gently massage, if you will, how Google looks at your website. So they're just looking for those outliers, you know, things that people are doing that are really, really spammy, where they're just taking away from their, their users. Uh, so those, those top three things are, are some of the biggest things that we're seeing right now in the SEO industry. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, link building is probably the one that's stayed. Uh, yeah. Like it's been there from the start, right? Link building's been, you know, around for I don't know how many years. It's definitely been around for the like, 10, 11 years that I've been working. Um, and, it, and it kind of sounds like, you know, a similar situation, right? They're looking up for those people who have natural, uh, natural links, good quality links, um, links are using keywords that are, are, are relevant, um, you know, look good and punishing the ones who are, who seem to be spamming everywhere and, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly what counts as bad links, but mm -hmm. uh, I imagine if suddenly, I, I think it was the case, you know, again, like nine years ago, probably, uh, I think it was Interflora, the, the flowers website. Uh, they got taken down just before Valentine's Day, I think, because they suddenly built a huge number of links. Mm -hmm. And Google just, Google saw it and went, no, you're not going to have that. Because there's, I, I'm guessing their view was, there's no way you could naturally generate these thousand links or whatever it was overnight um just just suddenly like that so i would say one quick point to, is with links google looks at things differently now um you can manipulate i can manipulate your website if i wanted to i could send thousands upon thousands to make you look bad uh, if if i chose to do that so what they look at now is not so, so much from like a punishment standpoint but more from a standpoint of um I would say from a, from a regulatory, like, hey, if you have a lot of links, are they natural? Instead of getting punished, 
all they're doing is they're taking away the value of those links. So yeah, if you had an extra 10,000 links to your site and Google looks at that and says, out of those 10,000, only like 300 are actually valid, they're only going to give you credit for those. Because back in the day, people used to literally go out and send like porn links, Russian links, crazy links to your website, and then you'd get hit. I saw the same thing happen to a few other websites in the last almost 20 years where it was near holiday seasons. And it's like, holy cow, you just lost how many millions of dollars because of that. So I think Google has gotten a little bit wiser to the fact that, hey, let's just take the links that you have. And if you have a ton of links, let's look at the ones that look natural and let's just push out and not give you credit for the ones that don't look natural because they know that there's a lot of smart people out there that are tweaking things and trying to make other people look bad. So it's a slightly different take. Definitely, definitely the same thing. You don't want to have a whole bunch of links pointing to your site where you know they're focusing too heavily on your keyword phrases because that doesn't look natural in Google's eyes. Yeah, well, I think actually, um, one of the businesses I worked for years ago when I when I was kind of involved in SEO uh, did get an email saying uh, you need to pay us like a thousand dollars or something, or we're going to build uh, a few thousand links to you uh, and make you look bad. And actually. A, it reminds me that a business that I had a few years ago got targeted in a similar way, but on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And it was something like, you know, we're going to generate uh, 500,000 fake likes on your account because Facebook will punish you for that because you, they'll be able to tell that you've done that unnaturally. Um, so you need to pay us some money, which we, which we just ignored. Um, and, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, nothing happened. But yeah, it's it's kind of bad that uh, bad that, that happened, but it's good now that there's just no point doing that because Google just ignores those links. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of those people just are looking, it's like phishing scams. Now you get anybody to respond to it. That's who they go after. Um, Cause you could literally, I mean, why, why would somebody just decide to spend time unless that's one of your competitors? I had seen that in a lot of, a lot of cases um, with competitors doing it. So I'm, I am very happy that Google has looked at it very differently. Yeah. Um, what was the first one you mentioned? Was it speed? So we looked, yeah, site, site speed is huge. Yeah, so out of those three, are you seeing a more, more value, more importance in, in one or two of them? Or are those just all three quite similar? Like if you're focusing on these three, you're going to do really well? I would say to focus on those three, but what I tell people is take them, like when you're eating an elephant, you don't want to eat it in one bite. You want to eat it, eat, you know, you don't want to eat the whole thing. You want to eat it small chunks. So with this, I would say, look at site speed being the first thing um, and user experience is your number one thing. Um, there's things like Nitro Pack. It's a site where you can go out and it's a WordPress plugin that you can use that takes care of all kinds of elements. So rather than try to say, well, how do we look at, minimum, you know, like compressing certain images and working with CSS and all this high level stuff, you don't have to worry about that. You can go to something like Nitro Pack, you pay their services, they can, you know, compress images, they can make it to where literally by installing a plugin within five minutes, it'll handle like 99% of the stuff that you need to handle and it'll make your site way faster. So if you look at it from that standpoint and say, what's the plan? The plan should be number one, uh, making sure that your site is, is user-friendly as possible. It's quick. Utilize something like Nitro Pack. Um, there's another site called Hummingbird, which is also pretty good. Hummingbird, I don't think is, is quite as robust as Nitro Pack, but it's free if you want to go that route. Um, and then I would say once you're, you handle your page speed, now you're going to give yourself a really, really good chance of ranking because you're going to take away that first barrier. Um, and then secondly, I would say the content piece, um, you want to be able to make sure that you're, 
Well, I guess the, the good, the best thing you can do really is look at your competitors because rather than go crazy and come up with tons and tons and tons of content that you may not need, look at what your competitors are doing and then supersede them by 20%. And it really depends on the industry. You know, like I, I've worked with plumbers, doctors, dentists, lawyers. We've worked with print, cir- printed circuit board manufacturers. And you can, you could probably tell that between each one of those vertical markets, there's going to be content written differently. So I would say figure out what your top five competitors are doing. Look at how much content they're creating, how big are their websites? Are they creating content for each service plus each service area? And then what is the average amount of links? So you could go to Google and type in like, you know, website content calculator or website content tool, and they'll show you how many words are on those pages. So you'll be able to get a pretty good glimpse of that and then say, oh, out of my top five competitors, who is doing what? Um, what does that number look like? And then start writing your own content that's similar in nature in terms of themes, and then just supersede it by that 20%. If you, if you follow that rule, you're going to do much better from a content creation standpoint. Yeah, I think I've heard this advice a lot, right? Find, find, find even good articles out there and just see if you can produce something which is several times better than that. Because if that's working for them and you can produce something better uh, and you can get it to the top of Google, you're, you know, you're going to be doing really well, <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, so I think uh, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, the other thing, too, is to look at social media. Like, there's tools like SEMrush um, or Ahrefs.com where you can go in and see what content or even look at Google Trends. I mean, it'll show you what content is trending within social media and on the Internet. And then you can look at that content and tweak it, create your own story or take it and make it that much better. Um, you're absolutely right, Will. Doing that um, will, because that way you're going to be able to see what are people already doing? What are people already consuming? Um, and in your particular field, you may want to come up with, you may, it, it's a good idea to ask your customers too. What kind of questions do they have about specifics in relation to what you do? Or go to answerthepublic.com. You can go in and type in a certain keyword phrase and it'll tell you in a matter of two or three minutes, hundreds of questions that are being asked on the internet. You literally could take each one of those questions and go out and speak it into your phone and use like a dictation service where you ask the question, you speak it into your phone and you do that again and again and again. And those services will basically print out or they'll, or they'll, they'll put all that um, audio and they'll put it in, into text. And now you can use that to write a ton of content. You don't need to get a writer for that. Um, you just have to use the right tools. Yeah. So are you, are you suggesting use a, use a speech-to-text tool to basically transcribe the article from your, your spoken voice and then what, just like edit, edit it to so, so make sure it's actually you know, accurate and, and makes sense and I guess needs tidying up and stuff? Yeah, I mean, you can come up, if you were to go and answer ask yourself a question and answer the question and do that for all the questions you find, even on the phone, you could literally write like a four or 5,000 word article in a matter of like 15 minutes. And you're not having to do a lot of thinking because a lot of people get kind of, they get stuck in what should I write? How should I write it? Should I hire writers? In some cases, it does make sense to utilize writing services. But in others, if you, if you know that your, your customers ask a certain set of questions and answer those questions or like go to Google and start typing in keywords and they'll, sit, they'll show you what other people are searching for at the bottom of the search results. Um, my, my mentality is how do you create as much good, relevant content as possible and do it in a way that, that is very, very easy. 
And I think the dictation services um, like that help out tremendously. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I like that idea because I think it allows you, it's going to allow you to produce that quite natural content, right? I suppose it's what the advice I've seen recently is um, make sure you're writing for the consumer and not writing for SEO. You know, too many, too many people focus on the SEO aspect, the keyword aspect, and end up with content, which, you know, the information there is good quality, but it doesn't read like a, you know, uh, like an actual explanation that you would give a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that if you're talking yourself through your answer to a question into a, a microphone or something, that's probably going to give you that much more natural flow mm-hmm. uh, to that article as well. And then, uh, you know, obviously you'll need to go edit it, move things around, but the uh, the language you'll, you'll use is probably better. It's just, it's like having a conversation. When you walk in any store, and you're going to buy something. People are asking you questions to figure out what what it is you're looking to achieve. So when I when we write content, we'll do it in a conversational tone, and we'll think from the standpoint of what are our customers' biggest needs. Um, are they looking to solve a particular problem? And then you ask those questions earlier in the articles, so you get them thinking about the question that that um, is already in their mind. And then you start giving them bits of information to reflect that content in smaller snippets, you know, one or two um, sentence paragraphs. And then they're going to want to read information very quickly. And then you just start, you spoon feed them that information and that's going to allow them to scan it really quickly if they want to. Um, Another really cool thing is that we're in terms of content, looking at different kinds of content. You can go and take an article and create it based off of, um, like we just mentioned, through a phone and have it be dictated into, you know, to text. And then you can also take that same content and you can go out and create videos where you're doing presentations. And it it sounds, it's interesting because I've talked to a lot of people who've said, you know, some of the videos that are really, really high converting, they've basically taken a PowerPoint presentation and have some, some words on that, on those pages. And they're just going over the words and they're reading the words. And for whatever reason, those are converting way higher than a lot of other kinds of videos. And I, I, I think it's because it's, it's really natural. And a person is, is they're reading it, they're hearing it, they're seeing it. So you're hitting three different, three different modalities for, for learning. Um, so you can take that same exact content and now you turn it into a video. You could submit those videos to um, PowerPoint presentation style sites. You can, you can submit them to podcasting style directory sites. Uh, so you're you're really able to take one form of content and you can turn it into multiple forms of content. And each one of those forms has a different distribution point for getting backlinks to your website. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important. And uh, yeah, it's just something to think about, right? How can you, uh, what else can you get from this piece of content? So you know, I think the most common thing people do is write a blog. Um I think that's quite an obvious thing to say, but I guess what I mean is the, the most common thing people do is f- just focus on a blog and just writing content. Mm-hmm. But actually, if they were thinking, right, well, what what else can we do with this? Can we turn it into a video, into a potentially even into a PowerPoint slide or a or a gallery of images or you know whatever else, just audio, maybe an audio track. Mm-hmm. Um, and where else can you you kind of seed that content out? Um, and get value from it. But I suppose one key thing I imagine is to not just overdo it. You know, there's no point turning one piece of content into 10 if you can't distribute that content, right? I would say to, that's a good, that's a good point. Take the content and create it. If you can turn one piece into 10 and distribute it over time, and you're not going to get overwhelmed, then fine. I mean, I have people who've gone out and they've 
taken articles and created the articles and turn them into videos. And then they, or they've taken a video and they have a conversation with someone just like what we're having right now. And then they transcribe that video and they put that text-based information on the page where the video is sitting on your website. Now you're giving Google a greater opportunity to consume the data that's in the video. So you're creating just another form of content. Um, same exact thing. You take images, you can do the same thing with image, image-based submission sites. Um, the key thing though is just is to repurpose where you can and then start syndicating that content. So like we mentioned, you create an article, then you take snippets of that article and you can submit it to all your social media sites. You can do the same. Then you can take, um, there's different syndication sites where you can take a blog post. And it used to be that you create blog posts uh, or press releases and have that content get syndicated all over the web. Well, now you can do the same exact thing. You can do take blog content and you can syndicate it in the same fashion that you would have as a press release. Um, you just have to make sure that the information is non-salesy and you really have to get access to a good content syndication network. And that's one of the things that, that we've done here in the last two months is we found new networks where we can syndicate content and say to our customers, hey, you just created this. We just created this really good blog post for you. Now that blog post has been syndicated on 300 additional websites. Now, the cool thing there is if you put what's called a nofollow tag on those, it's a little tiny bit of code that tells Google, hey, you know, that you can get credit for the link, but it's it's the website that's hosting the content is, is saying, we want to give credit for where the source was found, but we don't want to give the link equity behind it. Some people would say that getting those nofollow links are, are no good. But in Google's eyes, they, re they understand that you're going to get links from a ton of places online. And if you get a link from a site that says that has a no follow tag on it, that's saying we're, we're giving you the link, but we don't want you to get, give you link equity from our website by linking to you. Um, Google still is going to, they're going to reward your, your site because it's going to look very natural. And this also gives you an opportunity to get your content read by consumers on 300 plus new sites every single time you syndicate content. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose, uh, would uh, there's probably I mean there's probably like a kind of a ranking for how for how good this is in Google's eyes, but even just being mentioned on a website, does that have a, a positive indicator? So there are you know there are certain websites where it's almost you will almost never get a link from them unless they do it themselves. So places like the BBC, right? I don't think you can get yourself a link on the BBC. Um, the only way to do it would be if you contribute to a story. And you work with that journalist and you just naturally fit into that piece. But if you were just to be mentioned in a story, you know, would, can, does Google pick that up and, and say, well, you know, it's not a link, no one's linking back to you, but you've been mentioned on a very, very good high profile website. So that's got to be a good thing. So from a local perspective, they're called their citations. And basically that's, it's, it works in the same fashion. A citation can be a net mention of your name, your address, your phone number, zip code, um, things of that nature, or website address. In my opinion, if, if you're getting a, an unstructured citation, which is just a mention of your brand, I think that is going, that could be huge depending on the source. Um, one of the things I didn't mention earlier, there's a there's something called the EAT, EAT principle, which is stands for um, expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. 
Those are three major things that Google is looking to, to determine whether a site should rank well in its search results. So just like with local SEO, if you have a ton of places giving you these local citations and they're mentioning, you know, it's, it's those types of sites would be, you know, like your Google My Business listings or City Search, Yelp, things of that nature, where you can clearly see it's the same information across the web. You're, you're not going to get punished for having hundreds of those listings. Same exact thing like with the press release. If you have your brand being mentioned on hundreds of websites, Google is still scouring those sites anyways. And they're picking up content. They're looking at the frequency of your name. They're looking at how it's being used. Are there any associations with particularly your brand and other kinds of keyword phrases that fit your particular industry? So my opinion is it's, it's definitely going to help. I don't know to what extent will it help from a ranking standpoint, but I do think if Google is looking at the whole idea of expertise, authority, and trust, to be mentioned, like you said, on a, on BBC or New York Times or things, sites of that nature, that's, that's, that's a, a huge thing because now you have a certain level of trust from these other major sites. And in some cases, you may get links that are not hyperlinks. It may just be a, a mention of your website. I, I think Google still looks at that as well. Yeah. So, what, as in, so someone has actually written www.yourwebsite.com, but just not actually linked it. So Google would see that and say, well, you know, there must must be a reason they've put the whole the actual URL there. Um, so give some sort of credit to that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suppose. Um, what sort of trends are you seeing in the way Google's changing and updating the algorithms? Well, they keep having their core updates that, and back in the days, they used to not tell us anything as to like when they were happening. Now Google's doing a much better job of p- keeping people abreast of what's coming down the pike. Um, I think a huge piece has just been the, the security uh, for websites where they're now looking at things related to how much advertising you have on your websites, um, how much real estate you have. Um, so if you're, that's going to be a one component. If you have sites that are just created for the sake of like, from an affiliate standpoint, they're looking at that and they're saying, how much can we trust these websites? Because if it doesn't have anything as basic as let's say an address or a phone number or a way to contact someone, they, they're going to be looking at that from the standpoint of this is just another website that's collecting information to try to sell somebody something. So if you have anything on your website that has to do with you know, a person's health, their wealth, their livelihood, something that could change their lives pretty drastically. You know, you give someone the wrong information about getting a loan, you could financially hurt them or same things with health. You have to be able to have build up a lot more trust in those aspects. And I've seen sites that were very thin from a content standpoint that didn't have a lot of trust. And, you know, you could tell when you hit it, you're not going to get much support from that particular site. Um, because you know, like some, some of the software companies amaze me. I mean, you go to them and you try to contact them. I'm like, I can't even call them. Then you know that the response time they say is 24 hours, which in my opinion is a joke. I mean, unless, you know, the site is in another country, it's like, you know, like in Singapore or the UK or wherever, I mean, consumers, they know, okay, there's huge blocks of time difference between one country to the next. That makes sense. But if it's a, co- a company that's literally in, in your own country, you should be able to get responded to, you know, in, in my opinion, in like a 12-hour time frame. 
Um, so Google does, they def, definitely look at those kinds of things to see, you know, like how, how are people going to have staying power as a business? Because like when you look at any major brand, they, they've done certain things over time with the messaging, the trust. People don't have to say, hey, you know, like something as simple as like Nike or, you know, any other brand like that. They just know, hey, this brand typically stands for these particular qualities and characteristics. And they don't have to, to go out of their way to tell people, hey, to just do it and be yourself and use their product. It's going to be a higher quality and has a higher cost because it's, it's their, their longer lasting shoes or they're used by different athletes. People just know this. So if you can take the same kind of stance with your brand, like you mentioned with content, if you create really, really good content that's just really engaging and you're always thinking about your customers and how to solve their problems, how to point them in a specific direction, if you always do that, you're going you're gonna to hit on the mark uh, because you're not writing for Google because consumers are pretty smart. Somebody came to your store and you're, you know, you're trying to sell, 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 sell to them. They're going to look at you like you're, you're crazy. You're not building up any rapport. Uh, so I always tell people, do the same thing with Google. Do the same thing with content. If you always do what's right for them, you're going to give yourself a chance for ranking um, the absolute best chance you can. Yeah, yeah. If, if you're being helpful, if you're, if you're thinking about the customer first. Um, I just wanted to touch on this very quickly um, before we move on. But uh, what about kind of... A, you mentioned affiliate websites. So what about affiliate websites whose sole purpose is to be an affiliate website? So for example, voucher websites or coupon code websites, whose, you know, their entire business is just, here's a coupon, it links to another website. There you go, that's job done. We actually want you to click that link as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And we don't want you to be on our site. Um, and obviously you can build up that kind of that brand reputation stuff over time, I suppose. But does do you know how Google views websites that just have lots and lots of outbound links, which are affiliate links? So there it's it's interesting. I've noticed in the past that Google has tended to cannibalize things. So you look at um, sites like take, for instance, movie theaters. You know, when you go to Google and you start typing in movie theaters, what they do is they used to take and have a whole bunch of information across a whole bunch of different sites um, that used to post out. Like even, even looking at the travel industry, like Fandango and all these other sites, you used to be able to go to the sites. They, they would be found within Google search results. You could go and type in the days that you want to travel, where you want to go, where you want an airline ticket or a rental car or a hotel. And then they would push you through to those websites. Well, now you go and do the same exact type of search. You can do that at Google, where at the very top of the search box, you can tell Google where you want to go, what you want to do. And what they're doing is they're testing to see um, uh, how consumers are going to engage with that model. And then what they are able to do is they can go back to any of those sites and sell them, you know, like either, hey, we're going to give you exclusivity to this particular portal to be able to use it, or, you know, they're just incentivizing them some way to make the information be seen in a way that's easier. Um, so we've seen Google do that with a lot of different industries. So, you know, things related to coupons. Um, I don't think right now they're, they're super heavily into having that built into their, their algorithm um, like they would with travel or vacation rentals or things of that nature. But if they typically Google finds things that are working really well and they find a way to integrate it into their algorithm and their search results. Because from the mindset of the consumer, what they always can say is, hey, we're going to save them time. Rather than showcase the top 10 sites for hotels or, or you know, rental cars or vacation spots or airlines, 
we're going to put it at the very top and there's going to be an integration through our search and it's going to save the customers. And by saving, I mean, it might save them um, maybe 30 seconds or 60 seconds. And they're looking at that from the standpoint of if we can save them 20 seconds, they can justify building it in and basically cut stealing that landscape from the businesses that are within their, their, their search results. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for, for something like travel, it could be even longer, right? Uh, if, if I can do one search on Google and Google then just tells me, right, here are your 10 prices from these 10 websites. That's going to be, you know, that could be half an hour or, you know, 15 minutes, half an hour worth of, of going to each website individually, doing that search and then comparing them all. So yeah, from a customer point of view, it helps a lot. And if, if Google's then sending them back, people back to those websites, then, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of fine, I suppose. Um, I guess the issues people would have is when Google is taking the information and displaying it on Google on the search result, and therefore there is no reason for the customer to click through. Because mm-hmm. again, like from Google's point of view, better experience for the customer, right? But for the website website that put that that content together, and are now, you know, basically get a little, uh, uh, they get you know, they get marked as the source. Mm-hmm. But you know you ha- you'd have to notice that you'd have to read that. Yeah, they're teaching. I mean, they are teaching website owners how to formulate data in a way that best suits their users. And I think at the end of the day, yeah, they will push you to those sites. Um, you just never really know what Google's going to do. I mean, obviously, they've made ninety five percent of their revenue from their advertising platform for a number of years. But who's to say that they don't create some kind of a model that's like, hey, you put your content in here. Um, like they do with their paid ads or, or their shopping, their shopping ads. You know, you can find information very quickly, and it's very structured. Um, so at the end of the day, there they do have ways of integrating it into the shopping platforms and so forth. Um, so yeah, it's 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 kind of a double-edged sword. Where yes, it is for the customer, but it's also very much for Google because at the end of the day, it's going to drive um, their their revenues much higher. Yeah, um, of course. Uh- just a, a final kind of SEO related question. Um, it's probably quite a big one, really. So we'll have to try and find a way to keep it a bit short. But uh, maybe so for brands who maybe a little bit established but haven't really worked on SEO, you know, in haven't put a big a big big focus on SEO. What are some of the key things that you suggest starting with to I guess lay the foundations and, and get a good strategy in place? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you, I would tell people to look at your site and, and I'll, I'll make, give a macro level um, representation of this because there's one component to this that I, I want to touch on very quickly. Um, basically, you're looking at the site itself, making sure that the site is, is easily crawlable by Google. They can get to your site and they can read the information very quickly. There's not a lot of uh, roadblocks. So like I mentioned, something is S, uh, SEM Rush. You can use the tool and you can get information on it as to like what is messed up with your site. Or there's another tool called Screaming Frog. It's a Canadian-based tool. Very good tool. It can show you a lot of things that are, that are needing to be fixed technically on your website. Um, those kinds of tools can go in and you can say, oh, okay, I, can, I need to fix X, Y, and Z with my title tags, my description tags, my marketing copy, my heading tags. Very technical from an on-site perspective. Make sure you have that on point. And then the second piece is making sure that you have content that's written that is very engaging. 
there's a, I think the last study that I read last year was about 1400 words was a good metric for the total number of words on the pages of your site, but keep that. It's going to be relative to your industry. So if you have an industry where you're like, you're in the plumbing industry and you know, Hey, people are asking questions about toilets that are being backed up or water heaters or things of that nature. And you can write an article that is 600 words or 700 words that is actually engaging and that shows people how to do something or, or is included with a video. That's going to be huge because it's going to set you above your top competitors. So you want that content to be very engaging um, and you want to outdo what your competitors are doing. And then you also want to just be able to make sure that you're getting creative with who's linking to your site. How are they linking? Um, are you getting links you know, through things like press releases, which some people would say that press release link building is dead. I would say if you look at it from the, from the perspective of pushing your brand online, whether you get do follow or no follow links, it's going to make your, your link portfolio look very diversified, which is what you want to be able to do. You want to get very creative and look at other sources. You want to see what are your competitors doing? You know, we mentioned things like ahrefs.com or SEMrush. Those tools can show you where links are pointing to your site and your competitor's site. And then you want to get really creative. One thing that works really well right now is uh, guest blog posts. So you go out and you conduct searches on Google and you can do something as simple as write about your industry plus, you know, your keyword might be, you know, uh, e-commerce, SEO, and then you do something like plus guest author or write for us, or some variations of those kinds of keywords. You can find pretty quickly places that will accept content from you to boost their website. It's kind of like what we're doing right now. We're creating content and we're doing it in the form of a podcast. It's, it's very similar where you would create content that's text-based in the form of an article. You would reach out to a huge list of sites and you can use things like Outreach Mama. Um, to go out and create these databases, and then they can help you um, communicate with other website owners very quickly. There's other paid services that you can use to create those guest blog posts. And then those get you links and they get you content shown on other sites. So it helps you build your trust way faster on those sites. Now you're getting a whole bunch of really high quality links from different sites with different snippets of content. Um, so now you're basically hitting on all three of those components that we talked about. The one piece I wanted to add to that that we didn't chat with is making sure that if you're doing things on, in the e-commerce space, you want to be able to make sure that you're not relying too heavily on one source. So if you have a, a store on Amazon or you're doing things with Shopify or whatever it is, you always want to make sure that you don't have your eggs in one basket. So if you're just doing things on Amazon, great. Amazon can rock your business at the drop of a hat, if they decided to. If they notice you're making too much money on a specific product, they may decide that they want to offer the same exact product. And then they're going to take away 30% of your market share because it, you're making a lot of money. So you don't want to rely on just that. You want to look for external sources, like we mentioned Google, or looking at things like Facebook or TikTok or Instagram. Is if, as long as you have other pieces of the pie that are come, giving you traffic from other sources, you're, you're going to, that's another really good case of not allowing your business to be shut down. And then also we mentioned link building. So you can take your listing that ranks um, within Amazon, those product listings. You can see, hey, if I do a search for this within Google, um, who shows up in Google search results? What Amazon pages are showing up? Um, so you can figure out what those pages are and then you can build links to those. So let's say you have a product that you're selling on Amazon 
and you're noticing that it's that your top two competitors are showing up within Google search results as an Amazon listing. Now you can figure out how many links those pages have, and then you can emulate what they're doing and then just outdo it by 10 to 15%. So now you're giving your listing a chance of ranking way, way higher. I mean, I saw this it's a very interesting um, category. One of my friends says he has a, a if you do a, the search for camel toe concealer, obviously very, very niche based, very, very different. He said, hey, I've got a competitor that's ranking. We're ranking way better than them for this little tiny piece of plastic um, that helps provide more coverage for women when they wear their bathing suits. And basically he was saying, we're, we're there. We're killing them within their, our Google rankings, but they're, they're ranking higher um, within Google for their Amazon listing. So when you do camel toe concealer, the listing shows up on the second and third position within Google search results. And those are both Amazon listings. Those two listings are generating so much traffic for them. That's why it, it made me think, hey, can we do things to create higher Amazon rankings within Google so that you're also getting, you know, it's not diversifying your traffic per se, but it's giving you more of like a, a boost of vitamins to get your site to get more traffic and more, more um, sales, if you will. But you always want to make sure that you diversify because we're starting to see things right now with, you know, traffic sources like Facebook doing some crazy things for their advertisers. You know, we're seeing Google making lots of changes. We're seeing industries where you can't really advertise within them. Like if you're selling, if you're a dispensary and you're, you're looking at marijuana based products or even CBD can be a little bit more challenging. Um, they're making it, Google's making it much harder to get traffic to those specific sites within their advertising. So my, I, I would say my biggest, my biggest recommendation for your users is make sure that you diversify your traffic sources because you never want to be held captive by one source. Yeah, this is one th one thing I just want to come back to and touch on is that uh, the length of of content. So you mentioned there was an article that said about fourteen hundred words is is optimal. Now, is that literally fourteen hundred words is what Google wants to see, or is it a suggestion that fourteen hundred words should give you that engagement time, which is actually the metric that that Google wants to see? Does that make sense? Yeah, that was basically done on a site. I think the exact number is like 1,475. But basically all that that study found is that when they analyzed tons and tons and tons of content on the internet, that was kind of, that was the average. So depending on your industry, if you notice that uh, people are, are doing like 800, you know, it used to be, hey, have 500 word articles. Then it jumped to 750. Then it jumped to 1,000. Then 1,200. Now it's around 1,500. I have clients who are doing articles of three to 4,000 words. And we may only do one article that month, but it's 3,000 words. And, it, and the cool thing is, is that one article can rank for hundreds of phrases because there's so much body to it. People used to think, oh, you can only you know, write a, a piece of content and it's 700 words. You're probably going to rank for two or three keywords. Now we're like, no, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, if you can do it. But if you're in an industry where you can't do it, I would say keep the content short and sweet and fit your specific market. So yeah, it's not like a, a silver bullet. You write 1,475 words, you're always going to hit a top 10 ranking on Google. No, I wouldn't say that. Um, it's just merely a guide that's showing people like us in our industries that we need to create more high quality content that is engaging. And for whatever reason, those numbers just keep going up and up 
every single year. Yeah, cool. Um, cool. So just uh, finally then, before we finish, uh, is there anyone in the the kind of D2C marketing space that you'd really want to go for a drink with? No, not. I mean, I, I, I'm basically, I, I guess I would go to it too. If I could have a conversation with somebody who is who's more aware of some of the trends in that particular space for as it relates to traffic, nobody like comes to the top of my mind right now. But anybody in that space who can look at trends in that particular space and how it relates to generating traffic um, or getting a whole, you know, being able to generate, whether it's traffic or whether it's content or whether it's, you know, link building strategies, um, I would say that that I'm, I'm totally open, but I don't have anybody like in mind as of right this this second. I think it's just opportunities for me to be able to collaborate with people like like this conversation we're having right now. Um, where, um, it, whether people have, you know, questions about different things, you know, whether it relates to SEO or business in general, um, I like to just learn. I'm an, in, I'm not really an engineer, but I, it's the, the whole re-engineering component to SEO is what I love about this space. Um, and, and being able to figure out how to get to people, you know, in terms of getting into their mind and getting into why they do what they do. Um, I've just taken that and I've looked at how do I get into the mind of Google and figure out why they do what they do. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, and very finally, you've mentioned a few tools already, so that, that's great. But uh, are there any other tools that you use really, really frequently and you'd really recommend to people, um, whether it's SEO specifically or uh, another area of kind of marketing or running a business? Yeah, I talked about Answer the Public earlier, answerthepublic.com. It's a really good site for figuring out what people are searching for on the internet. Um, we talked about, one of the tools I didn't talk about is SpyFu. It's another good tool, spyfu.com. Another really good site for being able to go out and figure out what's the value of your SEO. So like if you're looking at, you know, keywords, you're looking at doing things like they have a keyword a combat section where you can see, hey, I'm ranking for X, my competitors are ranking for Y and for Z. And then how, um, what should you be going after? So very good, good tools for looking at content. Um, I think those are, are really good. We mentioned um, some different tools earlier. Hrefs are very good. Um, I think Google Trends is, is a tool that, that a lot of people don't look at. That is very, it's, it's very basic. It can show you, um, you know, like uh, how, what people are searching for, what rate, and are there differences? So like I have clients who say, hey, why is search traffic down for this? Well, why is it down right now? And then when you look at Google Trends, you can see there's a historical trend for certain keyword phrases during the year. It happens every single year. And so it may not necessarily be that your traffic is down because something has been done incorrectly with your website. The key thing is just maybe the trend just says that every single year right now, year over year traffic is going to be down. Um, as long as you're focusing on that, you'll have a better, you'll definitely have a better insight. Um, I think the last tool is, is page speed insight tool from Google. That's one really good tool to be, be able to figure out are there any things that you need to tweak on your website to make it um, much faster? I would say that's probably one of the biggest biggest tools that you can utilize um, to be able to, to get to the heart of the matter. Um, cool. All right. Thank you so much. It's been really good. Uh, if people want to get in touch, we'll see what's the best way of doing that. 
Yep. Best way to get in contact with me is Brett, B-R-E-T-T-S, as in Stephen Lane, L-A-N-E.com. Um, you can find all kinds of information about myself, the different companies that we run, um, as well as getting you know contact information for me. Yeah, cool. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Cheers, Brett. All righty. Take care. A key takeaway from this really is that Google wants to give their users the best possible experience. That means providing them with the result that meets their search criteria and ensuring that any websites they click through to are actually going to provide that information quickly and easily. If you fill your website with high quality content and make it easy for visitors to browse and digest it, Google's going to reward you. If your content's super thin and visitors are bouncing quickly, then Google thinks your website isn't great and so isn't going to promote it. Be careful of trying to manipulate things as well. Google spent years working out all the little tricks and they can obviously spot aggressive uh, kind of link building tactics. The plus side now, if you can call it that, is that at least Google doesn't punish you anymore. You're not not simply going to disappear from the listings, but they just ignore the work that you've done. So if you're spending money building links, Google's just going to ignore them now. If you'd like to chat with Brett about SEO and learn more, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com. Next up, I've got Howard Tierski with me. And we're going to be talking about how companies can stay relevant to their customers and continuously adapt to change. But until then, keep those customers clicking.